You unlock this door with the key of imagination. Beyond it is another dimension. A dimension of sound. A dimension of sight. A dimension of mind. You're moving into a land of both shadow and substance, of things and ideas. You've just crossed over into the Twilight Zone. I thought you were mysterious like my mother until it turned out the mysterious just meant depressed, all right? Hard to reach. I mean, I'm dying here. I don't like going out. You know that I get anxiety when I have to meet people. You know how hard that is. Everything you touch turns to shit! Like King Midas's idiot brother. Jesus. But if you two aren't the biggest pair of fuck-ups I've ever met in my entire life... Hello, everyone, and welcome to Give Us a Second. A mini-sode series. Brought to you by the greatest moments in the history of forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. And this is our 51st Give Us a Second, The Twilight Zone, Season 5, Episode 3, Nightmare at 20,000 Feet. And shocking, Matt returns to give us a second. I like how we're keeping the continuity of you yeah. missing just on the give us a second. We don't explain <laughs> it on the regular episodes. I thought that would be a fun way of doing it. Yeah, and it was not our first choice to have me review Blonde and Don't Worry Darling by myself. No, I did all the work going into it. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't get to be a part of the actual payoff for it. You showed up to record. We were all set to do it. In fact, if... It would have been my choice. I would have preferred not to be alone just because of the <laughs> yeah. firestorm around the movies right. at the time. And You're definitely the star of the show, but I feel like my presence <laughs> helps kind of keep a little bit of a balance. It like keeps you from going completely unhinged. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I just stop myself from ranting yeah. too much. So I guess as we discuss this iconic episode of The Twilight Zone, we can maybe get into... yeah. Your Shatner-esque breakdown. <laughs> a little bit of a moment. Yeah, I think I can give people the highlights as to what was happening. Pretty much a week before this, I started having these weird, dizzy, lightheaded spells and felt in a way that I never really had in my life, which is, of course, like scary when you're just feeling a way that you've never felt before. And I was like feeling like I was going to pass out. But it would only be for like a few minutes and I'd like sit down and gather myself and it would kind of go away. But kept happening and then it had been a couple days since it had and then right before I came over here as I was leaving work I, I had it like pretty bad and I was like oh man this is not feeling great and then I started driving and kind of to like distract myself from it I called my parents on my way here just to kind of like shoot the shit and as I was talking to them I was kind of like starting to freak myself out about it <laughs> yeah you know working myself up and of course immediately they're like you need to go to the doctor, like something bad is happening, <laughs> not making it any better. And I started to like get shortness of breath, tightness, like couldn't breathe. And I'm like driving and then I'm like taking an exit that I don't normally take to get here. Like I like drove through Etna. <laughs> the streets are like packed. I was like thinking I had to pull over, but I just kept powering through. And I was just like telling my parents, I'm like, talk about something else. Change the subject because I'm like about to have like a, a breakdown here and there's an obvious Sopranos reference to be made for Tony and his panic attacks and stuff. But really the one that hit me was when Tony's in a coma 
and Polly is coming to see him and Meadows like, okay, just say calm things. And then like Polly immediately goes in and just starts being annoying and (laughs) they have like the heart monitor and it just keeps like racing. That's like what it was like talking to my parents through this. I don't know. Once I was like, I got here and I got parked and I was just like, all right, I got to go. I think if I just like walk around for a minute, I'll be okay. But when I got up to your apartment, I was still feeling like the aftershock of it. And I was like, I don't know. I got to go to the hospital, (laughs) like still trying to make jokes. But I was like, I'm just not feeling right and with everything that had happened like a week leading up to it for all i know i like could have a brain tumor or something i don't know what the hell happy to report that they did do all the the main tests and there's no serious issues going on but (laughs) (laughs) i'm just a loser (laughs) pussy (laughs) well it was probably at least partially a panic attack yeah i think it seems like the shortness of breath part of it yeah i i think something else has been going on with me but i think i gave myself a panic attack over the whole thing plus I've been working hard and living hard for a while. I mean, I pretty much do something every single day, and I think it, it, it finally caught up to me. Just really wild that you're considering recording the podcast, doing something. It's filling the schedule <laughs> that I otherwise would... I think it's important to have some downtime. But yeah, so then I was watching this episode of The Twilight Zone with Lindsay for this show, and I'm like, okay, <laughs> I think there might be some tie-ins here with my little partial nervous breakdown as the hero of this episode has his own little struggle before we discuss nightmare at twenty thousand feet let's remind everyone to follow the show on twitter at greatest pod and make sure you're subscribed to the podcast at apple podcast podbean etc where you can give us a rating and review and all that good stuff if you'd like a free sticker you can let us know and we'll send that out to you. And find us on Letterboxd, Zach1983, Matt Crosby on there. I should add, by the way, that one of the best parts of that story is while my parents were saying all this stuff to me on the phone, like, there's probably something seriously wrong and I need to go to the doctors. No check-in. No check back in from them on the situation. <laughs> <laughs> I called them like two days later and I was like, yeah, I went to the emergency room the other day and told the whole story. And then all of a sudden... That caught their attention, but... They completely forgot. Yeah, yeah, they just moved on. They weren't that broken up about it. (laughs) Nightmare at 20,000 Feet originally aired October 11th, 1963. Part of the original Twilight Zone show. It was in the fifth season, but it has become one of the most well-known episodes. Definitely. I think several years back... I took a dive into Twilight Zone. Instead of starting from the beginning, I just started looking up what the most famous episodes were. This is always one of the top ones on any of those lists. Right. So it was one of the first ones I watched. It was written by Richard Matheson and based on his short story of the same name, directed by Richard Donner. Shocking. Who would go on to direct The Goonies and Lethal Weapon. Yeah, I know. And a bunch of other mainstream it's popular weird, man. films. So much changed between like the 60s and the 80s. You're like, how is it the same guy that directed this and The Goonies? But there's less time between that than The Goonies and now by like a lot. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? But it isn't, doesn't it seem weird? It would only be 22 years. Yeah. Whereas that would only be 2000, the year right. 2000. And I there's know. There's tons of directors that were directing stuff then that are now. But doesn't the gap between this episode and The Goonies seem much larger than that? Yes, but yeah. that's how things feel 
from before your time. Right. We've. I know. I get it. But I'm <laughs> obsessed with it. More time. You have gotten me obsessed with this, by the way. I don't think I was like this until I met you. More time has passed between this moment <laughs> and the moment that the song Creep was released as a single by Radiohead than between the, that moment when Creep was released as a single and the JFK assassination. And that's wow. true. <laughs> Holy shit. That, yeah. Creep is closer to the assassination of JFK than it is to right now. Right. <laughs> This was one of six episodes directed by Donner. It stars William Shatner and is one of the most well-known and referenced episodes of the series. And I think that it does a tremendous job of combining three things, which is why it sticks out to people. First and foremost, the obvious. It plays upon people's fear of flying, which is a very common fear. But... It combines two other things, which are somewhat related, but not exactly the same, which is the fear of being crazy, Uh that fear of thinking that you might be insane, but not knowing and not understanding what the difference would be, and the fear of not being believed. And when you swirl that together with the fear of flying, I think that they really very quickly and succinctly in 25 minutes tell a very convincing and fulfilling story that overcomes even the shortcomings of being a TV series from 60 years ago. Yeah. Which would be, for example, the costume of the gremlin on the plane (laughs) wings. Although one thing that always jumps out to me, whether it's the 60s or earlier, the fact that people were flying commercial airplanes at that time. I know. They like blows my mind. I know. I always think that too. I know. In reference to historical things thinking about people flying in planes in the 60s and i think how did they even have the technology i know it it does seem wild based on how we know technology has improved it seems like they were particularly trusting back then but i guess in their minds that was the cutting edge of the world absolutely of course it would be fine but to us it seems so old yeah yeah meanwhile kubrick was like well by 2001 they'll just be recreationally flying into space Yeah, we didn't quite live up to science fiction. No. Let's open with the narration from the beginning of the film, which helps set the scene. Portrait of a frightened man. Uh Mr. Robert Wilson, 37, husband, father, and salesman on sick leave. Mr. Wilson has just been discharged from a sanitarium where he spent the last six months recovering from a nervous breakdown, the onset of which took place on an evening not dissimilar to this one, on an airliner very much like the one in which Mr. Wilson is about to be flown home. The difference being that on that evening, half a year ago, Mr. Wilson's flight was terminated by the onslaught of his mental breakdown. Tonight he's traveling all the way to his appointed destination, which contrary to Mr. Wilson's plan, happens to be the darkest corner of the Twilight Zone. These Rod Serling intros... So cool. And, and like the closing, I mean, I think you wrote most of the stuff, but unbelievable presence, delivery, just a really cool series overall. Iconic, of course. Rod Sterling actually grew up in the same town that I was born in. Little exactly. nice piece of trivia for you all out there. When you go through and watch these episodes, even if the episode is kind of lame, <laughs> his whole spiel in the beginning is always great. Yeah. There were a lot of other science fiction horror 
various other kind of anthology shows over the years, different genre things, The Outer Limits, whatever. There's countless of yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. Alfred Hitchcock Presents. There's something about The Twilight Zone which feels so far ahead of its time. Yeah, yeah. Now, I know that it's sort of judgy. It's sort of the same way we think about how could they have flown airplanes back then to think that we know what people would like. But it just seems so different from a lot of the other I know. pop culture that you get from this time period. It had its own flair with the whole intro and everything, the piece of music. Yeah, and obviously I think it goes without saying that The Twilight Zone is endlessly influential on definitely television and film and everything else. One thing that jumps out right away watching Robert Wilson and his wife get onto this plane is that everybody's dressed up to fly. Yeah, yeah. Suits and ties. Not exactly this way now. It's a lot of yoga pants. and <laughs> By me, that's what I'm wearing. <laughs> and you could also smoke on the planes. I know. Then. Except not when you were taking off. That was the restriction, it looks like. Yeah. Well, it could be a little rocky. Your cigarette could go flying or something. <laughs> Putting it together, though, his little backstory here from what Rod Serling tells us, is really he's heading back home now, right? He, yeah. He, he went somewhere seemingly for business, had this meltdown, and has been in a one-flew-over-the-cuckoo's-nest type joint wherever he's been, and now he's just heading home six months later. Right. He's a mentally delicate man, Mr. Robert Wilson, and he's trying to put the pieces back together, coming fresh off of doctor's care, and now headed back home with his wife, Julia, played by Christine White, via airplane, Not... almost immediately glistening with sweat. Oh, yeah. But things go awry because shortly after takeoff, Robert sees what he describes as a gremlin on the wing of the plane. It's dark and stormy, but Robert is sure yes. he sees a gremlin. Well, I, I don't think there's a lot of mistaken that can happen here. <laughs> it's a giant <laughs> It's like, oh, what is that? <laughs> It's a little different from the Steven Spielberg gremlins of the 80s. It's it's much bigger. In this historical context, because it's sort of referenced by Robert in this yeah, yeah. episode, but just to clear it up, a gremlin is a mischievous f- folkloric creature invented at the beginning of the 20th century to originally explain malfunctions in aircraft and later in other machinery and processes and their operators. Depictions of these creatures vary wildly. Stories about them and references to them as the causes of especially inexplicable technical and mental problems of pilots were especially popular in and after World War II. I see. Which is what Robert references. Yeah. So it's a very specific word. He's not just pulling the word gremlin and interchanging that with any other weird creature. That's like a specific thing with planes. Uh Uh-huh. I think... In our modern times, that has now changed because of the movie Gremlins. Yeah, yeah. Adopted it and transformed it into that. They have this whole other little monster look to them. Before he even sees anything, though, there's also the panic at seeing that he's seated at the emergency exit. Oh, yeah. Which is also causing him a lot of consternation. (laughs) Yeah. But I guess, in a sense, will come in handy Uh for what he wants to do. I got to tell you, and these two share a kiss at some point, not the most convincing on-screen couple ever. They have a really awkward kiss that neither of them really land appropriately. I kind of think that that helps play into what the episode is going for, though. Because like I said, one of the three main fears is fear of not being believed. Right. And what is worse than the look 
on his wife's face oh, gosh. when she just re- realizes that he's having some kind of a meltdown that she doesn't understand. Oh, listen, I know it all too well. <laughs> I, I got to look yeah. at that face last week. <laughs> when actually. Lindsay was coming to pick me up, I think if she could have been like, just leave him somewhere for six months and I'll come get him then, <laughs> if that was on the table. Robert tries to alert Julia and the stewardess about the presence of the gremlin, but every time someone else looks out the window, the gremlin manages to hide. I'm sorry, Dan. Go back to sleep. Oh. Oh. I shouldn't have taken that sleeping pill. I should stay awake with you. No, no, no. I don't want you to, sweetheart. Go back to sleep. I'm all right. Can't you sleep? I will. Don't worry about me. something out there. What? Nothing. This gremlin, a lot of great balance. <laughs> Being able to just hang out on this Yeah, there's wing. a magical quality that defies any kind of logic where it seems to yeah. be able to fly off of the plane and then just come back. I know. And is not blown away. or <laughs> So it yeah. seems like it must be able to fly or something. Well, the other thing that's going on you know, you mentioned the smoking thing. There's more that we'll get to on the plane that seems insane from our current perspective. But this storm that they're flying in. Yeah. This seems like a crazy-ass lightning storm. Although it keeps getting downplayed by yeah. the stewardess and everybody else. <laughs> well, you got to keep everybody calm. There's a really fun jump scare when after the first time he sees the gremlin and then he closes his little window blinds thing and then opens it back up and the face <laughs> is right up against the glass. <laughs> yeah. I guess Richard Matheson was not exactly pleased with the gremlin suit. He compared it to a panda, which it makes me weird. think that in color yeah. it was also probably still in a black and white suit. Uh, okay, it did have like a weird like fuzzy bear type quality to it. Yeah, it seems to be a mix of a bear and a mutant pig uh-huh. or something. <laughs> 
But I think the cool thing about the episode is that it overcomes how lame we might think the suit looks. It doesn't even matter what it looks like. Absolutely, Because, again, I think the fear is not the fear of the gremlin. Right. The fear is the fear of being crazy and the fear of not being believed. Yes. But that's even, what really matters. Even the the physical fear is not of the gremlin. It's of the gremlin fucking up this plane. Yeah. Robert admits the oddness of the gremlin avoiding everyone else's sight but not his, and he's aware enough to realize how crazy he seems and how even his wife must be questioning his sanity. But there's a more pressing concern. The gremlin looks to be tinkering with the wiring under one of the engine cowlings, which would cause the aircraft to crash. Some really top-notch Shatner facial acting oh, here. Making hilarious, yeah. over-the-top faces. <laughs> Loving it. You can see the beads of sweat forming at the top of his forehead. He hasn't quite fallen into the traditional Shatner cadence yet. Right, yeah. Although you hear it a little bit sometimes uh-huh. creeping in, but really hammy, great, over-the-top TV acting. Love it. In response to his repeated attempts to raise an alarm about the gremlin, the flight engineer comes out to evaluate the situation, and the stewardess gives Robert a sedative to stop him from alarming other passengers. They're yeah. even at one point trying to placate him by saying, I know. Yeah, we know that it's there, but we just don't want to freak everyone out. I was thinking to myself, <laughs> this turns into like a whole Shutter Island exercise to try to get him to get over this. Robert pretends to down it with water, but he doesn't swallow the pill and secretly spits it out. He then steals a sleeping police officer's revolver, straps himself in to avoid being blown out of the aircraft, uh-huh. and opens the emergency exit door to shoot the gremlin. Now again... <laughs> Another moment where you're like, holy shit, just a guy with a no-concealed revolver sticking out yeah, to the point that he's able to crawl up and like secretly take it away from this dude? It just it describes him as a sleeping police officer. I don't really know if he's somebody specifically assigned to that plane or if he's just a, a guy who's passenger. just flying yeah. who just has his gun in a holster. <laughs> I know. The whole sequence is really bizarre. And a little bit surreal because... Yeah, you can't believe that nobody is noticing this dude crawling through the aisle of a plane. Yeah, just stealing a gun. And then when he opens the hatch and is hanging out of the plane, only being held in by his seatbelt, if you look at the shot of him from outside of the plane, behind him, there's no one there. There's no one else in the plane. Okay. There's empty seats across Yeah, yeah. And yet in the plane, his wife and the stewardess are all seemingly standing right there, yet not being affected by the pull of the I plane. Know. <laughs> yeah. No one else is getting like sucked towards the window or anything. It's very bizarre. Imagine being on this plane and having this happen. A dude smashes <laughs> the window. It's like, <laughs> holy shit. How inconvenienced. What are you like, talking about? He saved everyone's life. No, I know. <laughs> Just when you landed, you, this would be something you never stop talking about. <laughs> this guy's a hero. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Once the airplane has landed, everyone believes that Robert has gone insane, including his wife. Well, at least he made it back home. In a straitjacket, as he is whisked away on a gurney, Robert tells his wife that he is alone in his knowledge of what really happened during the flight, and he seems at peace with it because they actually landed and everything is fine, even yeah. if people think he's crazy. 
However, the final scene reveals conspicuous damage to the exterior of one of the aircraft's engines, confirming that Robert was right all along. Dun. Which seems to be then confirmed in the closing narration from Serling, where he says, The flight of Mr. Robert Wilson has ended now, a flight not only from point A to point B, but also from the fear of recurring mental breakdown. Yeah. Mr. Wilson has that fear no longer, though for the moment he is, as he has said, alone in this assurance. Happily, his conviction will not remain isolated too much longer, for happily, tangible manifestation is very often left as evidence of trespass, even from so intangible a quarter as the Twilight Zone. So it seems to be implying that in the future, once this ends, people will realize and see that damage and then be like, oh, well, maybe he was telling the truth. Although... Yeah, I don't they would know probably that just think like, oh, one of the bullets he was firing must have hit this. <laughs> they wouldn't think, oh, yeah, there was a gremlin out here. <laughs> he was right. And he did kill that gremlin. <laughs> wouldn't they find that gremlin body? Wouldn't it like fall out of the sky and just yeah. probably land in someone's house? Someone's like cornfield. Yeah, it's like Donnie Darko. <laughs> a giant furry gremlin explodes <laughs> onto the ground. It would be such a mess. Yeah. <laughs> There's something very relatable, even in such a unrelatable, fantastical scenario. Obviously, it doesn't have to be a gremlin. It could be anything that you think you're seeing or yeah, whatever. Yeah. But it could just be, is this person gaslighting me? Does everyone at work hate me? Yeah. Whatever it is. Sure. You get that paranoia, and then you feel like, am I crazy? You try to tell your friend or your wife or your whoever and the, they're not sure if they believe you because you yeah. sound manic and weird and then the fear of not being believed the fear of being crazy no bigger relief than having something like that validated that's for sure and then when you throw that in with having to fly yeah yeah <laughs> i was thinking to myself it's like darjeeling limited when he first gets on the plane and like immediately starts to panic it's like um i think i've still got some more healing to do <laughs> Whoever this doctor was that checked him off and said he was good to fly again, it might have been a little premature. I don't know. It depends. It was always going to be tough the first time. And so let's say that the gremlin's real. So if the gremlin isn't there, does he make it and everything is fine? Um, I think he probably makes it. It, Yeah, it was going to be tough, but... It's just the unfortunate coincidence that the the man who had a breakdown on a plane... Happens to see a gremlin... (laughs) That no one else can see. (laughs) But at least he's close to home now. This episode was remade in the 1983 film Twilight Zone, the movie, with George Miller as the director. The character's name was John Valentine, played by John Lithgow, and it's mostly the same, except they really highlight that he suffers from severe fear of flying. I really need to watch that movie. I feel like it comes up. Well, you know, it has sort of I know. a yeah. cursed It comes history. up for mostly one specific reason, but it comes up. It's a little more detailed and everything than this version, but yeah. it, it's sort of more or less is the same thing with the gremlin and the whole idea. And then in 2019, in the most recent oh, yeah. iteration of The Twilight Zone, they did a version of it called Nightmare at 30,000 Feet starring Adam Scott, where the gremlin is really just a little easter egg at the end and it's more about this podcast that oh this podcast 
Adam Scott finds in a MP3 player on his seat in the plane, and then he realizes that this podcast is describing that flight, and the flight goes missing. Ooh. And so then it it's almost like he freaks out to the point where he causes the plane to crash. Oh, cool. Because, you That's know, a fun and then, spin, yeah. And so then it's like, well, then it doesn't disappear because of his freak out. No, right? it does. Oh. But he causes it. His freak out is I what ends up causing it. I see how it's the opposite. It. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It's a variation on a theme. It's yeah, not yeah. exactly the right. same thing, but more or less. It would have been funny if they did do like the same thing, but they were able to get like the gremlin likeness. Like, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it just looks exactly the same. Yeah. I might be wrong. I might have this information wrong, but I I, I think that the, one of the issues with the new Twilight Zone was that maybe the episodes were a little too long. Okay, yeah. When it was coming out, I did want to watch it. Was it on Peacock or was it, or it was a CBS thing, right? Yeah, which is now Paramount Plus. Oh, okay. Well, at first, it didn't really seem like it was going to be easy to watch, which is always a challenge for me. If it seems like work to watch it, I don't want to do it. The episodes were anywhere from, it seems like, 37 to 55 minutes in the first season. It seems like they're a little shorter in the second season, but Nightmare at 30,000 Feet was only 37 minutes, which is only 12 minutes longer than the original but oh, yeah. whatever. I don't know. I heard mixed reviews of the new Twilight Zone. Uh-huh. Some people said that the second season was a little better than the first one. I it's think it got canceled after the second season. One of those things that's always going to feel like derivative of the original. Yeah, because even within it, they're sort of just remaking and updating the same right. stories. Yeah. <laughs> but I guess they think that that's what people want, that they have to at least include some of them. Well, now you're appealing to a generation that's not really around anymore, so it's not exactly (laughs) the nostalgic thing that other studios and stuff are able to prey on. You're talking about something that's been out of the zeitgeist for, what, 70 years? 60. 60, okay. Well, they did did the movie in the 80s, and there was a different Twilight Zone in the 80s than they did it recently. It's just something that always comes back around. Anyway... While we have this opportunity, did you want to add any thoughts on Blonde and Don't Worry Darling, which now at this point are weeks old? I'll just say, on Don't Worry Darling, I was really thinking that it could be a disaster. And the first 20 minutes into it or something, and you asked me what I thought so far, (laughs) it's like, well, it's not a complete disaster. (laughs) Um, The bar has been lowered. Yeah, yeah. Olivia Wilde's ability to stretch and do the things that she wanted to do. I just don't think we're quite there. You know, we talked about it. The ability to create suspense at all. The the movie is just completely devoid of it. There was just no suspense, including leading up to what's supposed to be the final exciting sequence, which is Florence Pugh being chased up a hill. Right. It just wasn't there. I think there was some style. I, I will give it credit for some stylistic choices that kind of created this weird 50s, feel that also felt futuristic at the same time but overall it was pretty bland and for blonde i was mostly happy to be part of something that was such a lightning rod (laughs) i did not think the movie was great there were parts of it that i was getting into the stylistic approach that andrew dominic took with it but overall i mean i was like this thing is wild this is just an insane ride and it just didn't seem quite as effective as the directors who can do things that are off the rails and have a little bit better approach to the organized chaos. But it was cool still just to watch once. I don't know. Will I revisit it at some point? Maybe. It seems hard. 
considering how long it is. But there were parts of it that I was kind of vibing with the weirdness of it, but it was a bit much. Yeah, I think for all the controversy and everything, it's really ultimately like a very surreal experiment of a movie more than anything yeah, else. Yeah. And there are some things about it that people have latched onto, although I'm not going to even get into the specifics of that, but I'll just say that I think a lot of it is still up to interpretation and how you want to feel about these things. And I, I don't know that there's really like a definitive answer, but who knows? By this point, when we post this thing, oh yeah, it'll be ancient history. That's probably. right. So things are just a blip now. So even though you've heard several episodes of Matt talking, we figured yeah. we'd stick the the drama of his disappearance just on the give us a second. <laughs> so now we're back and up and running full speed. We just wanted to put any concern to bed out there. Although I mean, there still could be something wrong with me, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's true. <laughs> The way you placed it, I'm sure people just thought that I like bailed last minute or something. <laughs> well, I didn't know if you'd want to. Oh yeah, divulge this information. I didn't so you didn't want to create a panic out there. It, uh, yeah, vague. I got it. We are dead smack in the middle of the greatest October, and we roll on. The episodes are coming out whenever they come out, different days. So hopefully, you're subscribed to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and Podbean, so you never miss an episode. We'll probably get back to a more conventional schedule in November, but you know how we do for October. We like to try to cram in the extra one, and we got all kinds of shit going on. So be subscribed. You won't miss them. They'll pop up. You can listen whenever. It's a yeah. full month of horror-related fun. Jam-packed, really. And a couple of nice surprises for the end of the month. Follow us on Twitter, at Pod and... If you'd like a sticker, let us know on there, and we'll send that to you for free. And you can find us on Letterboxd, Zach1983, and Matt Crosby. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. I'm tired. I'm thirsty.
to tell us more about these mustachioed mammals as the show's creator, Alice Clunt. Welcome. Oh, it's Alice Fluck. Right, I see what I've done. 